Welcome to Gathering Ministries podcast. We pray you will enjoy God's presence as you listen. Yeah, you know, we're in a series on the goodness of God. And I love the fact that when God has done something amazing, that we are people who will say, look at the wonderful things God's done. And we should, right? Oh, we come in, listen to what God's done for me. Listen to my answer to prayer. We have praise and worship, and our praise and worship is just amazing because God has done so much for us in our lives. And that is all beautiful, and we love it. Amen? But how many of you, when something bad's going, say, oh, praise the Lord, he is so good? Yeah, think about it. Oh, this is the worst thing going on in my life, but you know how good God is? We don't hear that nearly as often, do we? But do you know the same God is good when things are going bad as the air, when things are going good? God's good all the time, right? So tonight we're going to take some time, and we're going to talk about why sometimes God allows bad things to happen in our life. And hopefully we can learn from these and learn very quickly so they don't have to keep happening, right? But when bad things are going on, if you have God in your life, a bad day with God is always going to be thousands and thousands of times better than a good day without him. I'm going to say that again. A bad day with God is thousands of times better than a good day without him. Amen? Yes. So when I'm talking to a lot of people about the goodness of God or how great God is or how God has just blessed his people, I have so many people say to me, well, what about Job? And we get that over and over and over again. Look at poor old Job. Well, we're going to look at Job a little bit tonight. And I think we're going to see why God allowed some things to happen in his life. And then we're going to see what happened when Job understood what God was doing. Okay? So if you look at Job chapter 1, verse 8. Satan comes and he goes, you know... Look at Job. Well, God says first, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Okay, why does God say Job is blameless? We know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? But when God sees you, through his grace, he sees you with the righteousness of Christ. Do you remember? He who had no sin became sin for all of us so that we could become the righteousness of God, right? Through Christ Jesus. So when God looks at every one of us, you know what he says? They're blameless because he sees the righteousness of God on us. However, how many of us know we still have a lot of growing to do? So we can be blameless and still have things that need to be done because God is looking at us through eyes of grace. 
So it wasn't that Job didn't have any issues he needed to work out. It's just God was seeing Job through eyes of grace. Okay? So we know little by little everything was taken away from Job, right? And his family, his friend, was, you know, his wife said, give up and die. He said, I won't sin against God. You remember all that, right? And then he takes his livelihood away from him, all that he owns. Everything Job has is gone. Then Job gets some um, sores on him, and he's just absolutely miserable. And then his friends come to visit him. And his friends all try to tell him what's going on, okay? And how many of you know friends like that? If I'm your friend, you can raise your hand because I always want to tell everybody what's going on, right? <laughs> yeah. But don't we get caught up in that, oh, I know what's wrong with you. Just listen to me and we'll fix this right up, right? Yeah. Yeah. But what we're going to find out, let's now fast forward up to Job chapter 40. I want to start there. I didn't put that on the paper, but I think we need to see this. Job chapter 40. Here's what the Lord says to Job. Job, who will contend with the Almighty and correct him. Let him who accuses God answer him. Job answered, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. All right? Job was trying to speak for God things that God did not tell him to say. All right? We have a lot of Job's in the church, don't we? They'll walk up and say, the Lord spoke to me and told me to tell you. I had a lady say that to me one time, and I said, well, why doesn't he just come to me? Next time you talk to the Lord, tell him, just come to me and I'll listen to what he has to say. But don't we have those people? But now look, Job 41, through the whole thing, God is just saying, look, Job, I can do this, I can do this. If you read the whole chapter 41, he's talking about how powerful Job is. And then in Job 42, Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Here it is. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question and you shall answer. My ears heard you. But now my eyes have seen you. If you look it up, it's the eyes of my heart can now understand what you were trying to tell me. And then Job asks for forgiveness. 
He said, therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You see, although Job was blameless as far as his relationship with God goes, Job had some issues in his life that God needed to clean up for Job to be able to really enjoy his walk with the Lord. And so things had to be taken away from Job for God to get his attention. Hey, give God your attention before he starts stripping you, right? That's the first thing here. But the second thing here is God is far more concerned with who you are than with what you have. God is far more concerned with who you are than what you have. Does he want you to have wonderful things? We're going to find out he does. But he wants you to have wonderful things that you can enjoy because your relationship with God is where it is supposed to be. Okay? So now let's go and see how God takes care of that. Verse 10 of 42. After Job had prayed... For his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. Now that God has removed this pride and this arrogance and the speaking in place of God out of Job's life, he can trust him with twice as much as he ever had before. You see, God isn't trying to strip you away everything from you. He is trying to get you to a place where you are following him so closely that he can trust you with absolutely everything. That is one reason why you see things happening in people's lives. I'll tell you a story here in just a moment. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who knew him came before him and ate at his house. They comforted and consoled him all over the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former. And then he has double, at least double of everything that he had before. I was in the salon getting my hair done. And uh, a lady came up to me and she was visiting with me and she said, yeah, I just got back from Georgia. She said, my daughter was in the hospital. And she was having some mental issues and was in a deep, deep, horrible place. And she said, I was praying. I had so many people praying. And she said, I got down there. And she said, a nurse came in and said, I know why I'm on duty today. She said, I am supposed to come in and pray with you. And this woman, who's a Christian, but had never been taught about the power of prayer, had never been taught that God wants to heal us, had never been taught that God wants to bring these wonderful, wonderful promises into her life. She didn't know any of that, is now listening to this prayer from this woman who prayed for 45 minutes with all scripture that she had never heard before. You see, had that her daughter not been in the hospital, she might have gone her whole life and not known all the goodness of God. She said, I came back from Georgia so revived and refreshed and excited about what God is able to do in my life. Is her daughter going to be well? I do believe she is. 
But you know, she never would have been able to understand that had she not had that come in her life. And we need to understand sometimes when something is happening that God is preparing to show us something very significant in our life. And our whole outlook should be, God, I don't know why you're doing this, but I know that good is going to come out of it because you said all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So regardless of what is going on in my life right now, I can trust you completely to bring us out of this and bring us to a new level of relationship with you. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? But then sometimes things happen in our life because Satan attacks us. You know, and I don't know how many of you know this or not, but you have more power than Satan does. All right? I'm going to say that again. You have more power than Satan does. You have more power than Satan does. Ah, there we go. You see, we greater, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. You know, and the Bible tells us we overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. We also have the name of Jesus. We have so many weapons that force Satan to absolutely leave that when Satan attacks us, he only attacks what we allow him to attack. And he will keep going and he'll keep going, hoping that you'll give up. But when you resist the devil, he'll flee from you, but the first... uh, You know, sorry, Satan, you're not welcome here today. I've got too much to do. I'm just going to cover everything with the blood of Christ. You're going to have to fight with the blood of Christ. I'm on my way. Done. You know, but a lot of us will say, well, now, God. God's saying, I've already done what I'm going to do. You've got everything you need. Use it. But God. You know, when my daughter was learning to tie her shoes, She would sit down to tie her shoes. She would try. She would get half of it done, and then she'd just, Mom, Mom. And the first couple of times, I went over and tied her shoes for her. Well, then I found out that she was going to be 60 years old and still not knowing how to tie her shoes. Sketchers hadn't come out yet. I didn't have, she had to learn to tie her shoes. So guess what? I said, tie your shoes. But I said, tie your shoes. Well, she went to school one day with her shoes untied, but by the time she got home, they were tied, and I never had that problem again. But a lot of us are like that with our Heavenly Father, aren't we? Things that he knows that he has given us the authority and power to take care of. And we'll go, but he said, look, I've already given you everything. You're asking me for what I've already given you. Use it. 
You've got authority. You have power. You don't have to take all of this. Please understand what I am saying to you. You have got more power, authority, and better weapons than Satan will ever have. Already. Okay, Ephesians 2.2. 2. Here's part of it. You used to live in the ways and followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of air the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. Okay? Disobedient people have a spirit of Satan in them. Please understand, we do not want to get caught up being disobedient to what God has for us, right? John 10.10 says the thief, Satan, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? I'm here to tell you he's out to steal your joy. He is out to destroy your life. He is out to kill relationships. He is out to destroy your finances. He is out to steal what God has tried to give you. Please understand me. That is not a pretty picture, is it? But praise the Lord, he didn't leave it there. He said, but. And that is a great Big but. But I have come that you may have life, have it to the full until it's overflowing, is exactly what that's translated to. Life and life more abundantly. I have come that you may have life to the full till it's overflowing. How's that sound? Right. Yeah. Then 2 Corinthians 12, 7. This has been one of the probably most misunderstood verses in all the Bible when it comes to talking about what God has promised us versus what we say happens. And... You know, there are many, many scriptures, and we've talked about them here, on how God wants to heal us. You all know that, right? God says that, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your from the pit who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy so your youth is renewed like the eagles that sounds great doesn't it right and then we have Paul who had such a powerful anointing for healing on him that when he walked by people his shadow would heal them how's that for power and then we'll say oh but Paul was sick Paul had a thorn in his flesh. Well, let's look at 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and see what it actually says. Well, let's start with 6. Even if I choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I say or do or because of the surpassingly great revelations. 
Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, all right, there's that pride again, same as Job, okay? I was given a thorn in my flesh, here it is, a messenger of Satan to torment me. I pleaded three times for the Lord to take it away, and he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, if you look up that messenger of Satan in the Greek, it is an actual person. Paul had a person in his ministry that was sent by Satan to try and stop his ministry. And Paul prayed that God would remove him. I have a bouncer. Paul apparently didn't. <laughs> Paul, but you know what God said? Seriously, you know what God said? He said, Paul, no, no, no. I don't want you to become conceited and have this ministry be all about you. I want you to rely completely on me. So here's what I'm going to tell you. In all of these areas where you are weak, my power will come in. And it will be so great that it will be absolutely everything you need. You see, and sometimes we just have to say, you know what, God? This battle that you have allowed in my life is okay because when I am weak and do not know what to do, your power is so great that it will take care of whatever is needed in that situation. Do you know how many church fights and how many church problems would be solved if we really understood this scripture? Think about it. If every pastor in America said, this isn't my church, it's God's ministry. And it really doesn't matter who's here because when they're too much for me, God is going to step in and his power will take over. It would solve so much, wouldn't it? But you see, that is the way to handle attacks from Satan. But too many of us allow Satan to win the battle. We give up and we just say, this is too hard. I don't know what to do, even though you know the weapons that you have, which is Jesus, the blood, and the word. And do you know that every time you speak the word of God, are you ready for this? Every single time you speak the word of God, the angels in heaven go to work on your behalf. And they're not little cupids flying in clouds playing harps. These angels are warring, warring men ready to do battle and destroy your enemies. And if you would start using the word of God, when Satan comes after you about your kids, say, uh-uh-uh, all my kids will be taught of the Lord and great will be their peace. Then he starts coming after you with your finances, say, Satan, I don't know what you're doing, but God's going to supply all of my needs according to his riches, and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns it all. That's not going to be my problem, Satan. That's between.
When God, when he starts coming after your health, say, uh-uh, with health and wholeness, he will bless me, and I will live and declare the works of the Lord. And you start using the word of God, guess what? Psalm 103 tells us every angel in heaven starts fighting on your behalf. Yeah. Right. When bad things happen, use your weapons, Right? And how many of you know bad things happen because of other people? This is a tough one. Because I think it was Khrushchev that said, all my problems come from people. Get rid of the people, get rid of the problems. But we know we just can't do that like he could, right? But I want to talk to you about Joseph for a moment because Joseph had some people in his life that just made his whole life a very difficult life to deal with. And in Joseph 37, I'm just going to read a few verses just to tell you this story here, okay? In verse 5, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and he said, we were binding sheaves out in the field, and suddenly my sheaf rose, and all your sheaves bowed down to mine. While his older brothers were like, I don't think so. Who do you think you are, you scrawny little runt? Right, we're not putting up with that. Fast forward over to verse 14. Now the brothers had gone out, and they were in the flocks, and um, said, we're just going to go ahead and take care of Joseph. So they um, found him wandering in the fields, and he, they threw him in the cistern, okay? Come, let us kill him. I'm reading verse 20. And throw him into one of the pits where the ferocious animals devour him. We'll see what comes of his dreams then. Do you know they actually said that? Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. We're going to throw him in a pit. Okay, here's Joseph. God's given him a dream, and he finds himself in a pit. How many of you has God put a dream in your heart? You know God has something very, very special for you. You just know it's in there. And guess what? You turn around, and you find yourself in a pit. Let me tell you something about a pit. It's cold. It's wet. You have no friends. You have no cell phone service. You have nothing except yourself in that pit. But here's the biggest thing about the pit. Is as far as Joseph was concerned, he's now hopeless. He's not getting out of that pit. He's there to die. Have you been there? You're like, God, I thought you wanted me to do this. And now this horrible thing has happened to me. And it's so horrible that I will never see my dreams come true. God says, not so fast, Joseph. I'm going to send your cousins over, the Ishmaelites, and they're going to get you out of the pit. Joseph, I'm sure when he got out of that pit, said, well, thank you, Lord. I now know your plan for me is real. 
I now know your plan for me is real because you rescued me out of that pit, only to be sent to Potiphar's house. And there he is working in Potiphar's house, doing the very best he can. Doing the very best he can. He is not going to just slack. He said, you know what, God? I will do the best I can here. You rescue me out of that pit, and I'm just going to do the very, very best that I possibly can. And he gets to that pit, and in uh, chapter 39, we find out that Potiphar goes away, and his wife comes in and says, I want you to sleep with me. And Joseph in his integrity. Now listen, Joseph does the right thing. Okay? It's not that Joseph didn't do the right thing. Joseph did the right thing. His wife then, he comes home, his wife screams. She says, he raped me. Can you believe this has happened? And without even a trial, Potiphar throws him in prison. How many of you have done the right thing to find yourself in prison? Maybe not a real prison, but you find yourself in a situation where it seems like everybody is against you because you did the right thing. And you're saying, wait a minute. This isn't supposed to happen this way. My brothers are completely out of the picture. How is this dream ever going to happen? What is God trying to do here? Is this some kind of joke? Joseph didn't do that, though. You know, Joseph was the one that said, I don't know what bad's going on here, but praise the Lord. I'm now in prison, and I'm going to be the best prisoner there ever was. Boy, I don't know that I have it in me to be the best prisoner there ever was especially when I'm there for a reason I shouldn't have been. But now listen to what happens. Pharaoh has a dream he needs interpreted. And guess what God gives Joseph? The interpretation to the dream. How do you like that? Only God could do that. So Pharaoh says, go get him. He meets Joseph. He finds Joseph to be an upstanding, wonderful person. So much so that he says, Joseph, you, you, Joseph, are in charge of everything. You, you're in charge of everything. Here's a scrawny kid from, from the flock of sheep Thrown into a pit, his, his whole resume says this. A teenage shepherd lived in a pit for 15, however long, months, didn't have a job. You know, they'll say, well, why weren't you employed during that time? Oh, well, I finally got out of the pit, but then I was thrown in prison for rape. Oh, okay, well, all right, well, let's put you in charge of the whole country. That's God. Only God could do that, right? But here's the thing. Joseph knows there's going to be a famine. 
okay? He stores up food so that when the famine comes, he can save the country of Israel. And if those horrible things, if the pit and Potiphar and the prison had never happened to Joseph, we would not have Jesus Christ as our Savior. Aren't you glad bad things happened to Joseph? Yeah. Are you willing for God to allow things to happen to you so that his kingdom can be promoted higher and higher? And be able to say, thank you, Lord, for using me. It looks horrible to me. I have no idea what you're doing, but I am able to trust you. Great is your faithfulness. I will remember all those times you rescued me, and you will bring me to the place that you have for me for your good. Are you willing to do that? Yeah. Boy, when bad things happen, though, don't we? Oof. I was working in a position and uh, been there for a few years and um, had a couple people come in. I had a thorn in the flesh, if I can be honest, and uh, they hid some pap smears and then called my boss at the hospital and said I was putting patients at risk for cancer okay so they came up and they did an audit and I helped them with the audit I actually helped them with the audit I was like this cannot happen we cannot have this happening well they found a couple of them missing okay so they fired me okay I didn't say praise the Lord I just got fired I'll be honest with you okay I was stunned so they come up to copy records, you know, all of that. Well, they find the missing pap smear stuck in different charts. Okay? So it was just a bizarre thorn in the flesh. Satan was out to destroy me. He did not want me to have a ministry in this doctor's office. Looking back on it now, I understand it. At the time, I was like, what, God, what are you doing? This does not make any sense at all. Well, my boss was so angry, he said, you know what? I'm buying the practice. We're going private. You're coming back here. We're going private. We are done with this. We are not going to deal with this anymore. So he called me. He said, you're hired back if you'd like the job. I understand if you don't. I said, no, I'll come back. I don't mind. I'll come back. So I came back to... Uh, the office, and in the process, he set me up with my own allergy practice and kept me at the salary I was at before, plus the allergy practice. And I said, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm, this is a ministry for me as well. He said, go right ahead. And I can look around this room and I can say, so many people sitting right here tonight are here tonight because they were in my office at some point in time, right? You see, 
But at the time, I couldn't see what was going on. But God was setting up a ministry that was going to help people understand the word of God. And I've looked back on that, and I do remember what he, went, what he took me through. 1 John 2.15. And we need to realize that when bad things are happening, sometimes they're not the bad things that we are see happening. That they are something God is doing big in our lives. He says, I'm writing this to you because you know who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young man, because you have overcome the evil one. Not you will overcome, not that you have the opportunity to overcome, but says you have overcome the evil one. You're already victorious. You're not waiting to be victorious. You are not coming from a position where I need to get to victory. I have news for you. You are victory saying, Satan, you can't get to me. You are victorious. You're overcomers. You are already there. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We all know that, right? But... The gift of God is eternal life. Now, why do I give you that verse? Because sometimes we're our own worst enemies, aren't we? And you know what we do? We beat ourselves up and say, oh, the wages of sin is death. I might as well give up. I can't keep from doing this. I can't keep from doing this. But I want you all to understand something. It doesn't say the paycheck, right? Because then you have to earn it. It doesn't say the reward because then you have to have your name drawn out of the hat. It says the gift is eternal life. That means all you have to do is receive it. Everything you do in life operates in this one phrase. I believe, I receive. Everything. Okay? I believe this chair will hold me up. So I'm going to receive the seat it offers me. Every one of you did that when you came in tonight, whether you consciously thought about it or not. I believe, I receive. Every one of you can go out tonight, and whether you consciously think it or not, you believe your car is going to take you home. So you're going to sit in the car and you're going to turn it on and you're going to ride home. You received a ride home because you believed your car would do it. If you didn't think your car would do it, you wouldn't even get in and try, would you? Everything in life operates in I believe, I receive. And you know, in this temporal world, we believe and receive things without even thinking about it. Do you know we ought to be able to believe and receive what Jesus has for us? Yeah. Yeah. James 4, 6. I want to read this one out of the Amplified because it tells a much clearer picture of ourselves. James 4, 6. 
people, including ourselves. Are you ready? But he gives us more and more grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to defy sin and live an obedient life that reflects both our faith and our gratitude for salvation. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and haughty, but continually gives the gift of grace to the humble, the ones who will turn from self-righteousness. You see, pride is a very, very big stumbling block that all of us have. You know, and some of us get caught up even in how proud we are of how much we do for God. You know, oh, you know, I get up every day and I pray for two hours. You know, we got to be so careful about pride because pride puts the righteousness on me and not on Jesus. Pride. Pride comes, this is another reason God hates pride. Pride is a result of low self-esteem. There are many, many studies done And when people feel inadequate about an area of their life, they will try to promote how wonderful they are in that particular area. And my dad used to say, if somebody has to tell you they're nice, they're not. (laughs) You know, if somebody has to tell you how wonderful they are, they're not. That's because they feel horrible about that area and feel they have to build themselves up. Now, when you think about where God is sitting, when he says you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and then you feel so horrible about yourself, that devalues who God made you to be. And therefore, now you're starting to get proud. Of course he hates pride. Do you know why Satan got thrown out of heaven? He wanted to be like God. Do you know why he wanted to be like God? Because he wasn't. Because he wasn't. And instead of Instead of loving who God made him to be, he tried to become something else. And that's the source of pride. And so God hates pride. He just hates it. Yeah, but he'll exalt the humble. So a lot of times we're our own worst enemies. Bad things come into our lives just because of who we are. And I'm going to go ahead and finish this next week and how we deal with this and what God's plan for us is. And I'll expand a little bit more. There will be no handout next week so that we can get deeper into this. But I want to close tonight with just this. And that is this.
I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. In darkest night, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father, and I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Now why do I close with that? Because if you truly sing that and you truly mean it, with every breath you're able, you're going to sing of the goodness of God, that takes away a whole lot of the negative we talk about, doesn't it? You see, if we truly are with every breath we're able, we're going to sing of the goodness of God, we're not going to be doing the negative anymore. We are not going to be asking God, why, why, why? We're going to be saying, God, it doesn't matter. Why, why, why? All I'm going to say to you is, I thank you for whatever you're doing, and I trust you completely. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune into other broadcasts at Gather in Ministries.